Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Alon Stavins. Alon is an internationally renowned writer whose books, translated into numerous languages, have been adapted into film, theater, TV, and radio. He is the author of the graphic novels El Illuminado and Angelitos, the award-winning poem The Wall, and the meditation on immigration and mental illness, What Remains. He edited the Oxford Book of Jewish Stories, the Norton Anthology of Ladino Literature, Becoming Americans, and How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, among other volumes. His other one-man play, The Oven, has toured all over the United States. Ilan is the Lewis Sebring Professor of Humanities, Latin American, and Ladino Culture at Amherst College. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, I will tell our listeners that I missed a lot of the rest of what you have done because you are anything if not very prolific. So <laughs> excuse me for what for you is a very short introduction. Oh, thank you for what you said. Um, and I just want to mention also that today's podcast is produced as part of the Yiddish Book Center's 2022 Great Jewish Books Club. Um, and Alan, it's great to host the visit with you today and excited to speak with you about how America changed Yiddish and how Yiddish changed America, um, uh, which is a 2022 Great Jewish Books Club selection. Um, So maybe let's get started by having you speak a little bit, you know, broadly about the anthology, which I will say does draw from articles from Pock and Traeger magazine, the Yiddish Book Center's English language magazine, but also includes a lot of other rich content from collections here and elsewhere. So how did you go about curating the collection of material and, and how does it speak to the title of the anthology? The, the volume, How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, I see it as a pioneer, as a gift, to, as, a, as a sign of gratitude to this country for opening the doors to me and opening the doors to many other Jewish immigrants, many of them Yiddish speakers, who have come from the Pale of Settlement in particular, but from other parts of the world. I came from Mexico and I, in some ways, reversed the the pattern of immigration that my Yiddish-speaking grandparents had done there, escaping pogroms in the economic uh, difficulty. Uh, What we wanted to do, uh, Josh Lambert and I, my co-editor, is uh, first and foremost to celebrate the Yiddish Book Center in its 40th anniversary. We wanted to publish a book with the company that I founded a decade ago, Restless Books, that would speak to the vitality, to the vigor, to the broad scope that the Yiddish Book Center has had and how it has brought in all sorts of voices uh, by rescuing them from the past and by engaging in new conversation with uh, those that uh, are younger and are very interested in the legacy of Yiddish. Um, With this in mind, we assembled, we collected a number of established classic pieces uh, of the uh, Yiddish writers who came as immigrants to the United States by figures like Haim Grade or, the, or uh, Isaac Bashevis Zinger, uh, by first English language uh, Jewish writers like uh, Grace Bailey, uh, 
that uh, speak to the journey of uh, assimilation, of integration, and go beyond there and see what Jewish Yiddish culture, Jewish culture broadly written in Yiddish culture in a very concentrated way, have done to change the the nature of America and how America has changed reciprocally. So the book has poems, has recipes, has cartoons, has a, a, a mini dictionary of words of Yiddish that have entered the English language, has a all sorts of reflections on what it means to become part of a of a country that opens its doors to refugees and exiles in, in, for a, for a people that know a lot about being in different diasporas but have thrived in this bi- di- diaspora in particular. In kind of to wrap up the this this answer to your wonderful question. Lisa, I wanted it to be a kind of portable library, mm-hmm. a selection of a portable library in the spirit of what the Yiddish Book Center does, which is uh, assemble books, bring them together and open, opening them up uh, in front of the readers of all ages. I wanted this to be a slice of the best writing that Yiddish and American writers have produced in connection with the language Yiddish and the culture that it entails, and see it in a complex, nuanced, uh, uh, inviting way, uh, the, the challenges, the joys. Uh, and so you have even a section at the end that expands on the concept of America. It's not only the United States, but it's also the other Americas, how Yiddish lived in Buenos Aires, in Toronto, in Mexico City, America understood uh, really very openly. Uh, A celebration, uh, uh, a statement of being, uh, a form of gratitude, but basically a book to enjoy. Um, Which it it absolutely is. Um, So you, you alluded to a little bit of what I have in my next question for you, Elon, which is, do you see the, some, the work as in some way in dialogue with Yiddish literature? And the um, writers I pick out are, you know, Grace Paley, whose work is, I think, so informed by her Yiddish immigrant parents. She's so representative of that challenge of being part of that bridge generation. Um, she writes in English, but she's so inflected. Um, and also, you know, I think that it's it's true for Roth and for Bellow and for others. So how how do you see that dialogue and, and how much did it play into your selections? I see the dialogue as essential in the book itself, in, in me as a reader of Yiddish literature and of American Jewish literature, and as a writer as well. And obviously this book, How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, is a book that comes to the reader in English. It's in, it's either written originally in English by some of the writers, like Grace Bailey that you mentioned, by uh, in, uh, Allen Ginsberg, by Cynthia Ozick, but it also has a variety of translations of uh, pieces of immigrant Yiddish writers, like the one that I mentioned by Isaac Washevizinger, who came to the United States and remained loyal and truthful and dedicated to Yiddish 
maybe because they came too late in their own lives and changing to English as writers would have become very challenging. And so they work with particular translators to make that possible. Or maybe because the attachment to the language was so strong, so ingrained in their bones and in their flesh that they could not imagine themselves doing anything else with words other than in in, in Yiddish. But this back and forth from Yiddish to English and from English back to Yiddish, it permeates every single page of the book. Um, it is a story of how the Yiddish language, a language that dates back a thousand years that was around before Chaucer and Shakespeare um, um, has found a new home in the United States, has undergone all sorts of challenges here. The children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of immigrants lost the language. Many of them are hoping to regain it or feel a certain nostalgia for it. And the book talks about that nostalgia, that desire to recover it. And it is, um, in, in more personal and minute ways, it is the story of certain writers. Again, Bashevisinger is the is one of the writers that I have uh, read the most, uh, been closer to, and and feel a certain debt to as well. Who, in and of themselves, show you how Yiddish changed them and how English changed them, or, or how America changed them. And the book wants to give us a statement of that. There's a beautiful piece by him on what does it mean to be a Yiddish writer in America? And then there are pieces of people that have read Bashevisinger and talk about what it, does it mean to be a Yiddish writer in America, looking at him with, with a certain perspective, with all the misgivings and all the celebrations that that can entail. So it's a, it's, I, I see the book as a kind of kaleidoscope, that if you move it a little bit on, to one direction, the, the design changes. And if you move it to another one, you, you get another perspective. It's a book uh, designed for readers to find their own choices, to feel their own connections, but also hopefully, and I say this in the best uh, sense, to get lost in it. I, I like that aspect of an anthology and I tell my students to do it. Just open it and get lost. See where you, what, what you find, what, what it tells you that you didn't know and what it tells you that you already knew. And in the, in, at, as such, let the rhythm of the book enwrap you and in kind of create all sorts of images. Um, so you mentioned that it does include translations, and I think that's an important point and one I want to consider in terms of the book club selection. Most of the books that we select are works in translation. But this was an important book to include in this year's selection, and speak a little bit, if you would, about, um, you know, Singer, I think, is a great example. Um, and again, his, you know, getting inside of his head in terms of the old country and the new country and, and, and all those challenges are great. Some of the other translations that you included are also important and somewhat pivotal to this whole conversation. Can right. you speak a little bit about that? With great pleasure, Lisa. I don't think that one can really understand American Jewish life without talking about translation. Even when we don't think directly about translation, translation is everywhere 
because we are the byproduct of people who have or who do still engage with different languages, who uh, uh, saw themselves in a language that probably right now is no longer part of the family, but you can sense it still in the sounds, in the in the in the underground of how people relate to one another. So there are aspects in the book where you can see directly certain writers, Celia Popkin, for instance, uh, that are that wrote in Yiddish and somebody did a beautiful translation of their work and we included it in the book. There are other forms of translation, perhaps more metaphorically, there are aspects in the book where a, a young generation is looking at the older generation, the younger generation is writing in Yiddish, but is trying to translate what their parents and grandparents meant by recreating their world. And I think Grace Faley, who wasn't a translator herself, is a translator broadly understood because she is trying to make sense of the old world and the new world in a way that she herself needed and her readers very much needed. So I, I, what you find in the book is direct translations and, and, and you get particular authors that are specifically uh, coming from the Yiddish language. We have, a, for instance, a, in the book, we have Blumen Lempel and we have Peretz Hirschbein and Yaakov Gladstein in the Lamech Shapiro and others. We have a wonderful section of Sholem Ashes, a famous play, a God of Vengeance. And then we also have a, 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 a parody of it in the book. So I... I I think that the word translation is really the what moves this book and what moves us all in connection with Yiddish. We might know Yiddish or we might be nostalgic for Yiddish, but we're trying to translate it either word by word or either in or in the spirit in order to permeate the way we live to. Well, I think it's so interesting because I'll speak personally, you know, I've been at the center for 11 years. And um, in the 11 years, I've had the um, great um, guilty pleasure of learning so much. Um, And it's now so apparent that Yiddish, which we thought was a, you know, or some of us thought was just, you know, sort of a cute little language, um, was a world literature. Um, and in, in the selections that you've included in the book, it's very apparent and it informs understanding of Jewish culture in a global way. Um, and also it positions the literature as a world literature, which again speaks to the idea that you have a book club that is dedicated to selecting works that we otherwise might not have considered or read, were they not in translation and were they not great works of literature like other literature in other languages? It's a fabulous point that you're making, Lisa. And uh, I want to uh, ratify it and also expand on it. Uh, Jews, because of its and our nature, we are word machines. We have produced a... languages and we have produced works in those languages from the beginning of time from the image from the anecdote of the tower of babel where we go up with one language 
to the table and come back with multiple languages. And those multiple languages enable us to live in multiple universes. To the life that we had in Iraq and Spain and France and Germany and in, in the many Americas, living with different languages is an aspect of our day-to-day life. And we have produced, I don't know if it's a competition, I don't think it's a competition, but uh, compared to other uh, other nations, other peoples, we have produced uh, many languages. We have Hebrew, we have Latino, we have Yiddish, we have Judo-Persian, Judo-Arabic, uh, Judo-French, Judo-Italian. Some of those languages are what it's called a middle step, the transition between, uh, say, Hebrew speakers to speaking Italian, or uh, the transition between, uh, in I don't know, in, in, in Arabic from uh, one language to another. But Yiddish, Yiddish became the most important Jewish language, aside from Hebrew, uh, in the Jewish diasporas, in an authentic global language, a language that not only produced first-class writers, a Nobel Prize winner, writers that have been translated to numerous languages and have influenced numerous writers all over the world, Shalom Aleichem, Peretz, Bashev Zinger, his brother, Israel Yeshua Zinger, his sister, Esther Zinger, just to, to name just a few, but it's also a literature that it was almost insatiable in one in translating from other languages into Yiddish. What was happening? Dickens, in Flaubert, Tintolstoy, Tolstoy, they are all in Yiddish. Yiddish readers wanted to be part of the contemporary world. And they did it by writing great novels, and they did it by translating great novels in great poetry and doing theater in Yiddish. And I think that's a statement of belonging. That's a statement of being global. That's a statement of, a, of the reach, the impact that Yiddish culture had at the, at the beginning of the 20th century up to the Holocaust. And it's a statement of ambition. And I, I love the concept of having a book club that looks at what Yiddish writers have produced over time and goes back to them in order to appreciate the world in which they lived, which was nuanced, was as complicated as ours, as as black and white as ours. And it's so interesting to me because, um, again, uh, you know, art literature always reflect aspects of their contemporary culture. Um, They are in reaction to or, you know, they chronicle, what have you. And that's so true in the point you make about both, you know, writing in Yiddish um, from places all over the all over the world um, about contemporary issues, um, but also translating contemporary literature into a language. Um, and also found it really interesting that you and Josh chose to include, and I think it's really important, Buenos Aires, Toronto, Mexico. It's just a reminder that this was a language that found place all over the globe. And so therefore created culture and, and uh, you know, and the attendant aspects of a culture around the world. Absolutely. Let's think of Yiddish as a kind of Latin that the Jews found the lingua franca. They were able to communicate if they were Litvaks or they were Galicianers, that is, they were, they were from Lithuania or 
from Poland, um, a Jew that spoke Yiddish would be able to travel to Buenos Aires, to Vilna, to Odessa, to New York, and be able to schmooze, like we're schmoozing here right now, um, in that lingua franca that enabled the Jews to feel that they had an inside or minority culture that was theirs, and that that culture also through translations could be projected to the rest of the world. So even though Yiddish is often imagined as the language of Eastern Europe, it was an absolute international language, a language that bridged out because of this diasporic, this time traveling and space traveling um, drive that we have, and Jews would be wondering and wondering in it in so many different ways. There's a section in the book that deals with the arrival to the Lower East Side, the, the Abraham Kahan, uh, who was the editor of the Jewish Daily Forward, the Forwards, uh, writing about those immigrants at the beginning of the 20th century. There's another section in the book about um, that by Irvin Howe, uh, who spoke Yiddish, who translated from the Yiddish, and who wrote this marvelous book uh, that uh, won many prizes, the Pulitzer included, uh, called World of Our Fathers, trying to chronicle what is it that Jewish Yiddish immigration was all about. There's a section in, the, in, in How Yiddish Changed America from Irvin Howe as well. Uh, and so it is the, the successive waves the waves that found a home here, the nostalgia that they felt, the roots that they longed for, but the anchoring that they established. Um, you know, immigration is always a very complicated journey. It's, it's never easy. Uh, it's about tears and it's about smiles. And it's about large questions of where do I belong? And what we wanted, Josh Lambert and I, is allow the book to have all those question marks. Where do we all belong? And do we already in the 21st century year 2022, do we belong here? What does it mean to belong to the United States today as Jews? What have we sacrificed? What are we proud of? Uh, what is ours? What, uh, what have we abandoned? Uh, all those questions are here. And Question for you. You also mentioned um, the book does include recipes. It includes some cartoons. Uh, it includes some very short excerpts from oral histories and things. Tell me the why of that, in, including that. I, I, I am so happy you're asking me this question. Yes, there's a there's a section by Art Spiegelman, for instance, the author of a of Mouse, who is who, the book now being bad in different parts of the United States, tragically. There is also another cartoon section by Liana Fink, a wonderful young cartoonist who works for The New Yorker. Um, there are recipes about uh, trying to adapt a filter fish in the United States, doing blintzes, doing, in, uh, there's a recipe, a recipe by Alice and Sparks, my wife, about doing a latkes with mole in Hanukkah, which we do every year. It's her famous recipe, and I couldn't do a book like this without including <laughs> that gorgeous statement of, of mixing Spanish, Mexican with Yiddish and Eastern European. Why that, uh, Lisa? I'll tell you. I, one of the things that I, I, I still carry with me from Mexico is that when you go to a bookstore in Mexico, 
there is no division between fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. It's just one section called literature. And let the reader decide if this is this or this is that. It's not the librarian or the bookseller who's going to be deciding this. And the book wants to do that. The book wants to give you all forms, all literary forms, for you to decide if this very strangely formatted piece should be a poem, uh, as a, should be read as a poem, should it be read as a short story or an essay? Um, we in Latin America love this magical realist sense that dreams overimpose themselves on reality and vice versa. Let the reader decide what's real and what's not real. And that is one of the pleasures, I think, of the book. Totally. Um, I mean, not only is it a beautifully produced book, Elon, um, but it's wonderful to have um, um, the nightstand because you can dip in and move around in it so, so well. So two questions before I let you go. Um, I guess the first one would be the inclusion of the timeline, which I thought is brilliant. The timeline is, uh, is an effort. It comes at the very beginning. And it's an effort to say, look, all these pieces might feel as if they come from uh, different sources, different backgrounds, but we are all always inserted in a chronology. We come after and before others. We are the conduits that will pass on certain values, certain principles that we received to the next generation. And the timeline in this book wants the reader to know okay, you're reading this piece, remember what is happening at that time. Uh, When did we first arrive? When was the first Yiddish newspaper published? Uh, When was the first uh, memoir published also by Yiddish-speaking Jews in the United States? It wants to ground us in time and space and in this sequence with the hope, Lisa, that uh, that timeline, you know, a book, is a finite artifact. This was published in 2020 and tells the story up until that year. But through the imagination of readers, the idea is that the chronology continues and that we have not stopped producing, that uh, Yiddish is back in many ways, is in the hearts of many people, and that many young writers, poets, essayists, but especially readers continue to engage with it and continue to make statements about it. Part of that timeline as well. So I I do think that for readers who are doing this as part of book club, I mean, any reader should do it, but um, I, as a reader recommend in this instance, really starting with that. um, Because I think it, it, it sets up the construct in a, in a helpful way. I don't always I shouldn't admit it. I don't always read introductions first. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's like a spoiler alert, um, but in this case, not. And I guess the the last question I have for you, Ilan, is: Is there one piece that was pivotal for you, or two, or or that you know you and Josh wrestled over making sure that it got in there? <laughs> um, you know, a, an anthology, Lisa. Just about everything else is always creates its own double. Um, it's the anthology with everything that we managed to fit in. And then there's the other anthology with everything that was left out. (laughs) And to to confess, the original manuscript was twice as large and uh, it would have been rowdy and impossible to produce. 
in the art, the act of editing is the is the it's, it kind of calls up the determination to say, well, I have to offer a slice of life. I can't put all of life together in one book. It is it is a quixotic dream. So there were many parts that were left out, and the hope is that uh, still what was left in is better than what was left out. Um, there's one piece that for me was essential. We never really even considered not having it, but it's the piece by Grace Paley uh, that I love. It's a short story that she wrote. It's called Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, and it's the story of a failing Yiddish actor in New York and a young girl that goes and engages him. Uh, I love that story. If, and if I can invite the, the book club readers to start anywhere, you know, in an anthology, you can start at the beginning or you can start almost anywhere, really. Um, and you can start with a timeline, as you said. You can start with that wonderful Grace Bailey story. It is wonderful not only because of what it says, but because of how it says it. The voice that she has is, is memorable. There are, I love the piece by Bashevi Zinger about being, a, being a, a Yiddish writer, how tortured a journey it is. I love the recipes in the book. I love the sections. There's a section at the end by Alberto Virchunov about immigrating to Argentina in the early days of the 1900s and being exposed for the first time to gauchos in trying to put them together with the mujiks in Russia and in Poland, but they spoke a different language. And that clash of cultures is very endearing to me. There are beautiful poems in this book that, uh, that I think speak, speak loudly. And there is also a lot by young people in the book, a young generation, Michael Chabon writing, there's a chapter of his book about the Yiddish uh, police agency that deals with uh, the possibility that Yiddish would be the language of Alaska. Um, so science fiction, detective fiction, romance, uh, recipes, cartoons, poems, short stories, a whole variety. Uh, my grandmother always liked appetizers the best. <laughs> and uh, because appetizers, you really can show a whole gamut of possibilities. Let's say that this is a book of appetizers, uh, of uh, the forspice, as we say in Yiddish. And I hope that the readers of the book club will enjoy the very many tastes. <laughs> I always think of putting together a magazine as um, putting together the quintessential dinner party um and and yes this this does it you you have you've brought together a great collection around the table um so for our listeners again the title is how yiddish um how america wait a minute now i've completely messed it up how yiddish changed america and how america changed yiddish Yiddish. um it's restless books it's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org where you can also sign up to become a member of the book club if you're not already and also i will mention that elon stavins and josh lambert the co-editors of how yiddish changed america and how america changed yiddish will both be joining us for a virtual public program at the end of this uh, selection. Um, and we'll be announcing the date of that program. And they'll be there to talk 
collaboratively about the book and uh, answer all of your questions. So get reading. You won't you won't stop dipping into the book. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lisa. I Thanks, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.